0: In the beginning, when the cosmos were nothing but formless void, God spoke. And the universe unfolded in majestic splendor. The very words that crafted the galaxies and shaped the constellations are the same words that resonate through the ages, echoing the undeniable truth that our Creator is both wonderful and magnificent. my hands that stretched out the heavens and i commanded all their host yet amidst the grandeur of the cosmos he guides us to a deeper truth a truth that transcends the vastness of the universe In the intricate details of creation, the divine craftsmanship displayed in the delicate balance and the breathtaking beauty is found in every corner of the earth. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I made the earth and created man on it. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. The creator of galaxies and the artist behind the tapestry of existence is not a distant force, but a personal and loving God. He knows us intimately calling us by name and declares, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. This creator God has set his eyes, his mind and his heart on you. Today in this place, he is as sovereign over your life as he is over the expanse of the heavens. And he is here to meet with you.
1: Good morning, everyone. How are you today? Well, I'm really excited that you're here today because I've been looking forward to sharing this particular message with all of you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The very first sentence of the entire Bible. A writer will tell you that the first sentence is often the most important sentence. It's the sentence that can make or break whether your reader will stick with the story or not. That's why the first sentence is often the hardest one to craft. The very first verse of the entire Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we as Christians, we think we understand the verse. We think it's about creation. I suggest to you that we don't know the half of it. I believe that those first 10 words of the Bible determine everything that comes after it. Today, we're going to embark on an exploration of what I believe to be the most important belief in the entire Christian faith. On one hand, it's also one of the most difficult, the most complex topics to try to understand. In fact, I think that very few people actually understand this particular topic. I certainly don't. The topic alone creates all sorts of questions, all sorts of quandaries. Some of them are really, really difficult to reconcile. It's one of the most controversial topics in all of the Bible. And most human beings, we usually resist it. There's something about human nature that we push back on this particular belief, refusing for it to be true when it comes to us. on the other hand this one topic if you can learn to rest in it if you can learn to accept it if you can learn to believe in this one foundational truth i believe it can literally change the entire course of your life and how you encounter it unfortunately very few people ever actually rest in this truth many christians never do To submit to this one truth about God, I believe, is the ultimate act of faith. And yet submission, submission is often one of the hardest things for us human beings to do. I believe that this particular truth is the most foundational theological belief of all theological beliefs. I believe that the rest all flow out of this one truth you interested in knowing what it is? I'm interested in telling you. But before I do, I want to give you a little context. I would say it's been about three years, maybe a little bit longer. About three years ago, our pastors and leaders at our church, we started to ask the question, How do we better serve our congregation? How do we help our folks in their spiritual journey? How do we support them better? How do we encourage them better? How do we help our church family better understand what it means to be Christians? And we had and have had lots and lots of meetings. Lots and lots of discussions. Some of them have lasted for an entire day. Some of them have been hours upon hours in meetings from week to week. Some of these discussions have been facilitated by a consultant. Some of them have been led by members of our pastoral staff, but we have had a lot of discussions and we've had some debates, sometimes very passionate debates because anytime you try to put a lot of people in the same room to talk about the important things of spiritual life, There's lots of different perspectives and opinions. There's lots of different approaches. And so we've had a lot of discussion for nearly three years now. And one of the things, just one of the things that came out of all those discussions is that we believed that we could serve our church family better if we were more clear about defining and describing and inviting people to become devoted followers of jesus or in other words to be disciples of jesus we needed to do a better job at helping people understand what does it mean to be a disciple of jesus in the 21st century Part of the process, we put together what we called a profile of a disciple. What does a disciple of Jesus look like? What does a disciple of Jesus do? And if you've been paying attention and you've been around the last year, you are probably familiar with these three words. Be, become, do. We spent all last year exploring these ideas. Because we think that it's essential that a disciple of Jesus is somebody who spends time being with Jesus. Somebody who spends time getting to know who Jesus is and allowing Jesus to get to know you and me. It's things like the study of the scriptures. It's things like Sabbath. It's things like faith. It's things like prayer. But spending time with Jesus is one of the vital expressions of what it means to be a disciple. The second thing is to become more like Jesus. That as we spend time with Jesus, we get to know what was his character traits? What were his attitudes? What were his values? What were some of his priorities? And then asking ourselves the honest question, am I living my life the way that Jesus lived his? Because that's the calling of a disciple. And then thirdly, a disciple is one who does what his rabbi does. So as we spend time with Jesus, as we get to know more about Jesus, then we have to ask the question is, am I ordering my life around the priorities and the practices of Jesus who I follow, if I am in fact a disciple of Jesus? But even after we got that sort of a framework to think about how to serve and support our church family, we, we, weren't, we weren't done yet. And eventually we decided that we needed to be clearer and more helpful in describing what are the essential beliefs of a Christ follower. What are some of the essential skills that every Christ follower should understand about following Jesus? And that work largely fell on my plate. And over the last couple of years, I can remember many, many times in my office, door closed, phone off, just me and my laptop with a blank document, trying to think through what are the most important theological beliefs that a Christian needs to understand about their faith. Now, on one hand, that was a very easy exercise. I've been trafficking in those themes for nearly 30 years of my life. And yet at the same time it was one of the most difficult exercises because there was a lot to think about on one hand it was easy when i started to think what were the things that a disciple of jesus needs to understand about what they believe and what they practice the list came pretty easily to me it looked something like this i mean christians need to understand something about the supremacy of jesus that he is the most important priority of life Every Christian needs to understand something about the Holy Spirit and the nature of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. We need to understand something about lordship. We talk a lot about Jesus being our savior, but do we understand what it means to be our Lord? The authority of scripture, particularly in a day and age where those sorts of foundational truths are under attack. We have to understand something about the realities of eternity. Not just talk about heaven, but also understand the nature of hell and the realities of both. I mean, the work of redemption alone is a topic that could be explored for a couple of years. There's dozens of topics underneath the topic of redemption. Things like sanctification and justification and propitiation and adoption. All of these important truths of what it means to be redeemed in the eyes of God. We need to understand something about the nature of sin. For most church-going Christians, sin is simply, you know, the big things. The really gross stuff. But most of us don't understand that God has a very, very different definition of sin other than just the big stuff. That it can be sinful for us to have an improper motive for why we do something. Or to harbor an attitude that's not fitting to a person who calls himself a Christ follower. In fact, it can be sinful not to do something when we know that we should. But most of us don't understand the nature of sin in all of its fullness. But we should. To understand our identity in Christ. The Bible talks again and again about being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. What does that mean? And what difference does it make to our life? to talk about faith and love and holiness again not a topic that's very popular these days on a lot of different fronts not even in churches to understand the significance of baptism most christians make a profession of faith in christ invite him to be their savior and then are never baptized because they don't understand the significance of baptism to our faith as christians. And that's just a short list of the beliefs that I thought were important. And then there was another list of the skills, the skills of how to study the scripture and how to actually express worship in our life. What is the practice of sabbath for today's christian or the practice of confession or the place of repentance Do we know how to share our faith with our friends and neighbors do we know how to disciple another person when jesus said to us very specifically go and make disciples do we understand baptism communion the practice of giving the nature of spiritual community and the life of a church so many skills that we need to understand and After 40 years of theological training, I I could talk a lot about the important spiritual truths that every Christian should have a handle on, but there's just one problem. I was raised in this really rich theological tradition that says all of them are equally important, that none are more important than the others. In fact, I was led to believe that if you take one and make it less important than another, that all of them become unimportant. So how in the world was I gonna whittle this down to some sort of manageable content that I could share with the church family, especially when you stop to think that I get about 35 to 40 minutes on a Sunday and maybe two of the four Sundays that you're actually here. And then the hardest test came my way and that was to try to put them in some order of importance to challenge myself to think in terms of what theological belief would go at the top of the list which one would be the most important and I'll just tell you the truth that me declaring the most important theological truth felt a little like I would be dragged out into the public square tried for heresy and burned at the stake now that might be a slight exaggeration but it felt a little like that How in the world am I, of all people, allowed to whittle down the expansive truth of God's word and say, this one truth is the most important? And yet I came to that place. I came to the place of what I believe to be the most important place to begin in the discussion of our faith as Christians. And it's the topic that we're going to explore over the next five or six weeks in our pursuit of putting down roots in our faith now i should probably let you know that we're not going to exhaust this topic six weeks would be just scratching the surface of it and the second thing that you should probably know Is that we'll probably end up raising more questions than providing answers. You still interested? I think the single most important belief of a Christian. Is the topic of the sovereignty of God. Because it all begins there. It all begins there. Now, what in the world is sovereignty? Well, it's a big idea. But essentially, sovereignty has two vital components. It has to do with absolute in authority, meaning whoever is the sovereign has the last word. Whoever is the sovereign has the most authority, the, the final authority. And sovereignty has to do with unparalleled in supremacy. Which is simply the way of saying that whoever is the sovereign, there's no one above them. They don't report to anybody. They are, in fact, the sovereign ruler of all. This is how God is described in the scriptures. As having absolute authority, unparalleled in supremacy. Now, some other ideas that go with the idea of supremacy is supreme. I'm sorry, the idea of sovereignty. Supreme, paramount absolute, independent, royal. These are all dimensions of this idea of a discussion about sovereignty. So John Piper is a popular pastor here in America. He's a theological thinker. Here's how he would define sovereignty. He said, sovereignty, God's sovereignty is his right and his power to do all that he decides to do now i'm not quite as sophisticated as john piper so if i were to describe to you what i believe god's sovereignty is i'd say it this way god is free to do as he darn well pleases and i cleaned that up a little bit (laughs) that's what sovereignty is is god is free to do as he pleases Job, in the Old Testament, he had a sense of this. He said it this way, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That was his understanding of God's sovereign realm over the earth. So we come back to the beginning of our Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So whether you're studying the solar system or the circulatory system, whether you're studying the human eye or the eye of a tornado, whether you're studying a blue whale or an ant, an entire rainforest or a grain of wheat, whether you're studying the conception of a child or the origins of the land masses throughout history, what we see is that when we look at God's universe we are left in awe we are left in awe of how beautiful and majestic it is how awesome and intricate it is how complex and enormous it is how vast and astounding God's universe is but I want to ask you three questions here this morning now when I ask these questions some of you are going to think that I'm being facetious that I'm trying to be funny or absurd. And I tell you, I'm not. I want to ask you three questions. And I'm going to ask you, please don't answer out loud. But I ask you to answer honestly. These are three really critical questions to coming to terms with the sovereignty of God. You ready? The first question is this, have you ever created an entire universe? Now, you've created things. Some of you in this room, you've designed and built the house that you live in. You created a house. And some of you, many of you have created a home, a place where your family is safe and provided for where they can thrive you created an environment called a home and you were a part of establishing that some of you perhaps you've created a piece of furniture or some other work of art like a painting or a sculpture or a poem or you've written a novel some of you you've created very complicated and complex software programs and some of you You've created some sort of technological device that actually saves lives. Some of you, you think of yourself as having created a child. But I'm not taking away anything from what you've created. It just isn't anything on the scale of a universe. I mean, unless you, you personally have engineered the creation of atoms and molecules and cells unless you have ordered the dna of a human being if you've ever put stars in space or put planets in their orbits or you created the sky or the clouds or the rain or evaporation if you've ever created snow ensuring that no two snowflakes are exactly the same if you've ever designed water and then divided it between rivers lakes and oceans if you've ever built an entire mountain range or vast plains and then filled them with trees and grasses and flowers, if you've ever designed or built a human being and then breathed into it the breath of life, if you've never done any of that, then you and I are vastly different from God. And my bet is that you haven't. The second question. The second question is this. Has any parent, any relative, any friend, acquaintance, peer or associate associate that you know personally and trust implicitly, have they ever created an entire universe? No, as much as you may admire them, as much as you may love them, as much as you may think that they hung the moon. My question is, have they ever actually? Suspended the moon in outer space some 240,000 miles from here. Again, I assume that they haven't. And my third question is this. Has any professor, teacher, scientist, author, thinker, or philosopher that you respect and admire have they ever created an entire universe the truth is that whatever impressive invention they might have their name on whatever discovery they might have made they've done it all with the essential or basic materials that were provided by the creator of the universe from the universe that he created They didn't start from scratch including their brain and the genius in it it all comes from God and yet again I'm confident that the people that you admire and trust as authorities in your life they haven't ever created an entire universe why why do I ask these questions because I want you to understand that God is the member of an extremely exclusive circle that He and He alone inhabit. There's no one like Him, there's no one even in His company, no one even begins to compare to God. Perhaps that's why he says in the book of Isaiah, I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God beside me. That is a declaration of his sovereignty. Here's a rather sobering yet centering thought. The universe that God created completely sustains your life. The oxygen that you breathe The water that you need the food that is required for your life to continue all of that from God so if it's true that God created the universe and it's true that the precise angle of the earth's axis is at such a minute place that it keeps the earth from spinning off of its axis into complete chaos, which either drives us further away from the sun where we would freeze to death, or it drives us toward the sun where we'd be burned alive. That one fact reminds us that everything that we have and the life that we've been given, it all comes from God. God and God alone sustains you and me. This is just the beginning of an understanding of God's sovereignty. How vastly different he is from all of us and every human being that exists. And yet this truth of God's sovereignty, we often wrestle with it. Some of us, we even dislike it. We don't like the idea of God having such supremacy. It begs questions that are hard to reconcile. If God is in fact sovereign, then why do bad things happen to good people? That's a good question. If God is in fact sovereign, then why doesn't he step in and stop the onslaught of evil that's happening throughout our world? That's a good question. If God is in fact sovereign, then why doesn't He protect babies from tragedy, or hungry people from starvation, or outcasts from isolation and rejection? Why doesn't God do something if He is in fact sovereign? So when we brush up against the topic of God's sovereignty, it creates some tensions for us that are really hard to reconcile. And at times, we don't like the answers. In fact, we don't like that there aren't answers. I I read a quote a couple of weeks ago. And I have kicked myself a million times because I didn't write it down. Or I didn't make a note of where I found it. I didn't archive it in any way. So I don't have the exact quote. And I don't know who to attribute the reference to but from my memory the quote was something like this and I think this is such an important understanding to the dilemmas that are created by the topic of God's sovereignty when you take exception with how God chooses to do things in this world to accuse him of being unfair or unloving you are simply declaring yourself to be wiser than God, and thereby you believe yourself to be a better God than he is. Does that make sense? So not understanding the concept of the sovereignty of God, that's one thing, but rejecting it and disagreeing with it, that's a different thing. It's okay not to understand it. It's okay not to be able to completely comprehend it. But to outright reject it is foolishness. God describes so in the scriptures. In Psalm chapter 14, the writer says this, the fool, the fool is the one who says in his heart, oh, there's no God How do you explain all the things that happen in our world if there was a God and he's not sovereign? Because obviously things are out of control. The fool is the one who says there's no God. So today we're just going to introduce the topic. We're just going to scratch the surface. And over the next five or six weeks, we'll dive down into it a little bit deeper from a number of different perspectives that I hope will be helpful to all of us as we put down roots in our faith. But we won't answer all the questions. At least not this pastor. I don't know the answers to all the questions. But I want to leave you with a couple of statements before we conclude today. Just some things to think about. And then we'll explore them further in the weeks to come. And the first one is this. TO CONCLUDE THAT THE GOD WHO CREATED THE ENTIRE UNIVERSE IS UNIMPORTANT IS LIFE'S HIGHEST ARROGANCE. IT'S ARROGANCE TO THINK THAT THE GOD WHO CREATED THE UNIVERSE IS UNIMPORTANT. THE SECOND IS THIS. TO REJECT THE IDEA THAT THE GOD WHO CREATED THE ENTIRE UNIVERSE reigns SUPREME IS LIFE'S ULTIMATE DANGER. To step back and think that if God created the universe, but I don't have any responsibility to it, places you at enormous danger because if he has spoken, then his words are most important and we ought to pay attention to them. The third statement is this. To trust that the God who created the entire universe loves you with his whole heart is life's truest wisdom part of what we're going to explore over the next several weeks is just how ginormous God is but we're also going to understand that that enormous God knows you by name and he knows everything that's unfolding in your life and when I say everything he knows everything about you he knows what's happening in your marriage He knows what's happening in the lives of your children. He knows what's happening with your health. He knows what's happening with your career. He knows what's happening with your money. And he wants you to know that he loves you. The same God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. To get that is to truly become wise. And finally... To accept that the God who created the entire universe has offered you and has offered me an invitation to be reconciled to him is life's greatest gift. Stop to think about that. The sovereign God who creates and sustains the universe. He's reached out to you. He's reached out to me. Even as messy as our lives are, he invites us to a relationship with him. And when you understand that, there is nothing in all of this world that you'll ever receive that will even begin to compare to a gift like that. These are some of the things that we will explore over the next five or six weeks as we dive down deep into an understanding of the sovereignty of god but i i remind you once again that it's it's the most important belief because everything flows from the sovereignty of god even jesus flows from the sovereignty of god so what do you say so what do you say we give ourselves over the next several weeks to better understanding the sovereignty of God in our life. I'll say it again. We won't figure it all out. But maybe having the discussion, maybe looking at God's word and exploring it just a little bit more might make an enormous difference in how we are doing life now. To step back and rest in the faith that God the God who created the universe is certainly capable of taking care of me. Does that make sense? So I spent some time this week thinking, well, how how do I wrap this all up? And I thought maybe the best way to wrap it all up is just to stop talking for a little while. Maybe that's what the psalmist meant when he said, be still, be quiet, cool the engines, quit the striving, be still and know that I am God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. so for the next couple of minutes i'm going to invite all of us to be still i'm going to invite you to bow your head and in your words and in your way just reflect on what you've discovered here today that our god is sovereign now i need to give you a warning it's going to get really quiet in here and i'm going to let it go An uncomfortably long amount of time. And we don't do well with quiet. And maybe that's why we still don't. Understand. Who God is. So let me ask if you bow your head. And you and your words in your way. Reflect. On a God. Who is Sovereign. Father in heaven we confess that we're not really good with quiet we get nervous that perhaps somebody missed their cue we feel some kind of compulsion to get up and do something it's rare in our lives that we're not watching something or listening to something or surrounded by any number of noises in our life and part of finding you in our soul is to be still now father i ask that you might receive this small gesture of quiet as a sincere interest in our life to better understand you and to begin with one of the most complex yet comforting truths of your sovereignty Our Father, we want to learn to rest in the confidence and in the courage of knowing that the God that we serve, the God that we love, the God that we follow is sovereign. That as the creator and sustainer of the universe, you have all the credentials to be in charge of our life and of our world. Father, I ask that the next several weeks will be a helpful discovery into this important truth of our faith. Open our eyes and our ears to what it is that you want us to understand about trusting you with our life because you are in fact trustworthy. Do a work in our midst. I pray and ask in the name of Christ, our Lord and savior. Amen. Before you leave this morning, I wanna just say one last thing we are so excited that over the last several months we have hosted so many guests in the life of our church so many new faces and it's a bit of a challenge because i'd like to know everybody we would really like to be acquainted with anybody who comes and participates in the life of our church but that's becoming more and more difficult So the best we can do is provide some opportunities that if you are a guest in our church we'd like to get acquainted with you the the first one and an easy one is is that following the service i'm available here at the front of the auditorium i'd love to meet you i'm sincere when i say that i would love to meet you so come on up and introduce yourself i'd love just a few minutes to shake your hand maybe Get started on knowing your name, finding out a little bit about your story and telling you that we would love to serve you as a church. The second opportunity is another one that's really, really valuable in the life of our church. And that is that every so often we host what's called Welcome to Cibolo Dinner. It's a dinner that we host at Fair Oaks Ranch Country Club. And anybody who's new to our church is invited to be a part. It's a great opportunity for us to meet you. It's also a great opportunity for you to meet some other people who are new to Sibolo Creek. But most important, it's an opportunity for us to have the time and the space for you to ask any question you'd like about our church that we are happy to answer. So if you're new around here, you have some questions about our church, we'd love the opportunity to answer those, and to get acquainted with you. And you'll find information about the Welcome to Cibolo dinner either in your copy of The Creek today, or you can go to our website and find out more information there. Our next dinner is on February the 25th. We'd love to have you come and be a part. Make sense? You guys are awesome. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.